0: Hello friends, Madeline Cheney here. As many of you know, we are currently between seasons five and six. During this time, we are hard at work producing brand new episodes for season six to be kicked off on July 28th. In the meantime, a well-loved episode from the archives will be released each of the nine weeks. It is my hope that whether listening to each of these episodes for the first time or the third time, that you will continue to feel held by this community. Today I have for you the popular episode 33, It's Okay to Be Angry, with Orly Bills from way back in season two. This episode resonated so deeply with so many of you, and I am very excited to share it with some of my newer listeners who haven't listened to it yet. This impactful episode is generously sponsored by the friends and family of Carolina Kihava. In her message to me, she said, This donation comes as a collective effort from our close family and friends in honor of our daughter Cruz's first birthday. We will continue sharing your podcast in hopes that parents joining our rare disease family finds the comfort we have found listening to the stories of other rare parents. Thank you for all you do. Generous donations were given from the and please forgive my pronunciation of these. Jimenez family, the Mendoza family the Sotelo family, Patty Guzman, and several anonymous donors. I cannot express how meaningful this was to receive. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you would like to personally sponsor an episode or partially sponsor an episode, meaning teaming up with other families, follow the link in the show notes and send me a message. I'm so grateful for everyone's support, monetary and otherwise. Okay, let's dive into this soulful episode.
1: Anger is one of those things that people try to push down or push away Mm -hmm. or hide because it's so frightening, right? But if you can find a way to effectively deal with anger, oh, so good.
0: Hi, you're listening to episode 33 of The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. I have for you our final full episode of season two with Orly Bills. Orly is part of the Rainbow Kids Pediatric Palliative Care Team at Primary Children's Hospital here in Utah. And he's been with them most of the 13 years that they've been operating. The Rainbow Kids team is made up of doctors, nurses, a chaplain, and Orly, the social worker. He's also a certified grief counselor. When I asked Orley what he does on a day-to-day basis, he said that he spends a lot of time in ICUs with parents, checking in with them, finding out how they are, working through their feelings, and when requested, just chatting about superhero movies to give parents a break from talking about all the medical decisions and questions. He's a bit of a celebrity among the many families whose children have stayed at primary children's. And he'll even answer a couple questions in the interview from a few families that he's worked with. So I've heard Orly's name tossed around many times because of his celebrity status, but I don't think he was there at our meeting with Rainbow Kids when I was pregnant with Kimball. We had a large meeting with the Rainbow Kids team at the hospital, and we talked about quality of life and plans of what to do if Kimball didn't make it. And it was one of the hardest conversations of my life. And I vaguely remember them saying someone couldn't make it. So I'm assuming that was Orly because I had never met him until this point. And I'm pretty bummed because of the reputation he has in helping families. And I'm so excited to bring a little bit of Orly to you. In this episode, we chat about the importance of creating a care plan and letting that guide decision-making on behalf of our children. We we'll talk about the importance of allowing ourselves and our children to be angry sometimes, and the importance of finding our inner mama bear. Orly is a lover of his 2019 Harley Davidson Street Glide Special, and writing it. Let's jump into our conversation. Hi, Orly. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So to start off, what are some strategies that you give parents in coping either with a hospitalization or even a new diagnosis that their child has?
1: Yeah. So grief underpins everything. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: grief isn't necessarily about death. To me, grief is about loss and change, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: change in particular. And when you get a new diagnosis, that's a big change in your life. And there's a lot of loss that comes with that. Uh, most mm-hmm. people, right, they have an idea, a basic general idea of what the future should have been for them, and their child. Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly different now. Yeah. And so how to cope with these new diagnoses, like I think people are gonna do what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Um, how people deal with change depends. So my team makes fun of me. I shouldn't say makes fun of me. They love me, um, <laughs> but they tease me because my answer to a lot of these questions that are uh, sociological in nature mm-hmm. is it depends
2: mm.
1: because it depends and how somebody copes with a new diagnosis, the way you would do it is not the way I would do it. It's not the way somebody else would do it hmm we all have different ways of going about it and so I just going to try to help people explore what has helped them in the past what is your plan now what's next for you and one of the big things I think that helps people in coping with a new diagnosis is this term we have in rainbow kids called your goals of care and that's one of the things the team is set up to do is to help you kind of uncover goals of care, because I feel like if a family can thoughtfully sit down uh, and and think through what is important to us, so we've got this new diagnosis, we're just getting information. It's scary. It's overwhelming. We don't know what any of it means.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And really, a big thing on people's mind is: Is my child going to die? Yeah. And a lot of medical professionals don't like to go there because they worry and their, their job is to provide a lot of hope.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I say, you know, people are thinking that anyway, we should talk about it a little bit if they want. Yeah. Anyway, that's a separate that could be a separate one, too, about how do you talk about that stuff? But yeah. coping with a new diagnosis, I think, involves those goals of care, because if you can sit down and say, These are the things that are important to us. And and these are just examples, okay? Mm -hmm. These these are just random. It's different for everybody, right? It depends. But if somebody Mm -hmm. can say it's important to me that my child be able to walk or to talk or to communicate with me, and that communication may be as long as they can open their eyes and see me and I can see them and we can recognize each other, Mm -hmm. then that's okay. I'm okay, Yeah. We can, we can get through this. But you have to have that thoughtful conversation about your goals of care and say, what's important to us? What do we want? And what don't we want? Hmm. So you can do a lot of things in the hospital, but is that the right thing to do? Doctors yeah. are scientists. They love to run tests. And sometimes those tests involve needles and blood draws and pokes. And uh, having that goals of care in your mind, if you can say, well, what will this test show us? And the doctors say, well, it'll just give us this additional information. Won't change our plan that we're doing, but it just Mm -hmm. provides us a little more info. Yeah. And yeah, it's a poke. And yeah, it's this. And you can say, no, that doesn't fit with our goals. Like, right now, our goal is to we're we're aware the plan's the same. We're not going to do that. Yeah. But if you don't have that framework of a goal of care of what's important to you and how do these interventions and medical decisions fit into those goals of care, if you don't have that, then that's going to increase your stress and anxiety even more because you're going to be directionless. It's just going to be everywhere and you're going to be overwhelmed and you're not going to know what to do. But if you can think that through and say, these things are important. It's important that my child spend as much time at home with me as possible. What does that look like? It's important my child um, be able to travel because grandparents are in Arizona. Mm -hmm. So it's important to me that we're able to do some of these things. Will these interventions, medications help support that or not at all?
0: Yeah, I really like that. I, Kimball's two and a half now and I, I think we need to make a plan of care because there are decisions like you say medically and we're just parents like a lot of us don't have medical backgrounds and so making these decisions are are hard and a lot of times doctors like you say they're scientists they're there to try to just fix things and I think that is really helpful in the medical world as well as in the therapy world because there are these huge decisions we have even for for my son who is hard of hearing where We need to decide are we going to go the LSL, listening and spoken language route, and teach him to speak orally? Or are we going to teach him to sign ASL? And there's just all these questions we have that we have to grapple with. And I think that having that plan of care could be super helpful in guiding, making all kinds of decisions for our children that a lot of parents can't relate with.
1: Absolutely. And to sit down with a group like Rainbow Kids just blows me away, Mm -hmm. Uh, right? I'm patting ourselves on the back, but you have a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a social worker, a chaplain, an RN to sit with you and spend the time to say, who are you? Mm -hmm. What do you value? What's important to you? Um, Even having discussions about death and dying, like, What do you believe happens? Do you have a system that supports you? Do you have a belief that helps you? How does that help you? What does that look like?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And and then slowly through those conversations, uncovering things to where people can say, yeah, okay. Yeah, some of these things I thought were important aren't so important anymore, right? Mm -hmm. My docs can answer questions about pain and symptom management. We can do all kinds of stuff, but if you have that goal in mind of where you're trying to get to that can guide a lot of things. Cause then you can say, does this fit our goal? No, then now we're not going to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Does it's this a fit huge... our goal.
1: Yeah, that does. Yeah. That fits most of them. So yeah. that's, I think we're going to do that.
0: Yeah. It's a huge uh, quality of life issue where you have to make these decisions for your children a lot of times, cause they can't tell you. And correct. So I would love to jump into a few questions that were submitted by parents. Sure. Um, one parent wanted to know more about palliative care and the concept of not always extending a person's life at all costs, because it is uh, something that's very foreign outside of our community of medically complex parenting. What would you, what would you like to say about that?
1: So again, Madeline, it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a very beautiful experience with a dad that I've carried with me for years and years in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you that story real quick. Okay. Because it, it ties into my answer for this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: His daughter had been in the ICU for a long time and things had been progressively getting worse and worse and i think the writing was on the wall and they were like okay um how do we do this how do we make this choice and i was prepared to kind of walk down a certain path with dad and he said to me and i may get choked up so because it always chokes me up um he said as her father I accepted responsibility for her when I brought her into this life. As her father, if she's going to die, then it is my responsibility to see her out of this life. Mm -hmm. And she's going to go my way with me. And I thought that was uh, beautiful. That responsibility a parent has. To Even if their child is going to die, what is your responsibility to be with them, to have them go your way, with you, I thought was just Mm -hmm. a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so that idea of how can you make some of these decisions um, for your child that just seems so counterintuitive to being a parent. Yeah. uh, It comes back to that goals of care it's like a pendulum right on swinging way to one side i've seen families say if my child's heart is still beating then they are fighting right regardless Mm -hmm. of what's happening to any of the other organ systems or the brain if the heart is beating that means they're fighting you fight with them Mm -hmm. you you keep going Clear to the other side of that uh, arc where people have said, We know our child's life will be short. This diagnosis um, uh, isn't going to be a long one for us. And so, if our child's life is going to be short, we don't want to be in the hospital. Yeah. We don't want tests. We don't want pokes. We don't want meds that will create all these other side effects, right? They're like, mm-hmm. We just want to be home. We want to go sit by a lake. We just want to have time as a family. How do we do that? To anywhere in between. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a family that comes to that choice of like, our goals are time together at home and and in the age of COVID, right? Like if Mm -hmm. your child is in the hospital and dying, they allow one parent at the bedside. And uh, I will add, just for families out there to know the impact that has on staff as well. Mm-hmm. It is hard on families, but the nurses and the docs and the housekeepers and the so people all around that bear witness to that burden a parent has it. It's crushing to us as well. Yeah. And so many people are fighting against it. Like we have to do better at this. That's my own little soapbox, but, mm-hmm. um, It just goes back to your goals and what's important to you and your child. Again, some view themselves as fighters and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And we'll go out with a room full of healthcare professionals doing a resuscitation on my Mm child. And if my child dies that way, then we died fighting. And I know that. And others, right? To the other side say, eh, I mean, I just want them comfortable. I want them home. Mm -hmm. and I want my family around me so uh, to uh, any uh, that mix so uh, for that it's just it has to be a discussion between the people that are important to you in your life whether that's spouses uh, grandparents Mm -hmm. sometimes it's nice to have conversations together with the help of a team like Rainbow Kids which we've done by the way we've Mm -hmm. had whole meetings with Grandparents and aunts and uncles, and mom and dads, because there's this. Parents sometimes get stuck in this position of, like, well, my mom feels like we're quote unquote giving up. Mm -hmm. And so she's pressuring, she says, you need to do all these things. And if I don't, then I'm in trouble with my mother. And my aunt on the other side has said, no, this is torture. You need to let them go. What are you doing? Family has their own ideas of what you should do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they put pressure on parents. And so parents are like, "I don't know what to do," or parents feel like, "We know what the right thing to do." Let's say a parent chooses comfort path. They say, mm-hmm. oh, "I just want my child home and comfortable," but my family's mad because they think we need to be fighting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So sitting down sometimes with rainbow kids and having a discussion and talking, and once all family members can kind of hear the medical information, typically we see they go. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know any of this. Or there might have the lone person who's like, "Doesn't matter, we'll get through it together. Keep doing it." Mm-hmm. So ultimately, we try to do the best we can, but it comes down to those decision makers in the child's life, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm the dad. I accepted responsibility for her life when I brought her in, and mm-hmm. that I accept responsibility for if she is going to die that same thing applies here too like what is your responsibility and if it is that time what does that look like for you and i think parents have to make decisions thinking ahead so that they can look back what i mean by that is looking ahead five years from now you reflect back on what happened and go yeah yeah, that was okay. We did the best we yeah. could.
0: They can feel good about it. Well, I yeah. remember so clearly when I met with you guys, with Rainbow Kids, when I was pregnant with Kimball, and uh, his diagnosis is one where a third of the babies will die in the first month. And so, you know, there was that looming possibility. And remember you guys brought up the, the, the this concept of like, you need to decide at what point Do you want to give him comfort care? And at what point do you want to keep fighting? And at first I was like, wait, what? Like I would always fight for my child. I want him to live. But then, as you guys taught me, that living is not always the best option, depending on the quality of life, and that you can fiercely love a child and let them go and give them comfort care, as well as fiercely love a child and keep fighting till the day they die. And I really love that concept because it's so it's so complex. It's just so – there's no black and white. And I think the bottom line is that we love our children and that we're really trying to make the best decision we can and that we can't judge anyone based on their decisions because that love is always there and we're just trying our best. But it's such a complex issue. I was like, I hate that this is a conversation I have to have because no parent wants to be in that situation.
1: Correct. Yeah, I um, I agree.
0: So I would love to move on to another question that we had submitted yeah. from a parent. So she said she would love to know how to help siblings cope with the trauma, anxiety, and yes, even PTSD after a baby with special needs is born into the family. Especially when the child is still living and the trauma keeps repeating itself in a sense that you settle into a new normal as a family and medical needs naturally arise.
1: Yeah. Uh, One that we get a lot. So uh, Madeline, I'm going to ask you, what would be the answer here? What do you think I would say?
0: A similar answer to how you're treating trauma. Yeah, it depends. There you go. It depends. I was like, oh, shoot. (laughs) It, it,
1: It depends. So. I have met, and I genuinely believe that because I have met six-year-olds, seven-year-olds that are wise beyond their years. And I've met 16-year-olds that, right, emotionally are still kids Mm -hmm. and struggle. And so every family who has siblings, everybody knows each kid is different from the other. They all have such different personalities such different ways of coping and doing things and there is a real and genuine thing that happens to siblings who have a brother or sister with special needs when that child goes to the hospital typically 30 day stay average a lot of our families are there for at least two weeks And then mom works or dad works or mom's at the hospital and dad, right? They take shifts or sometimes yeah. it's just mom. There's a it's lot of complexity mess. to it. Yep. Yeah. It's a mess. And kids sometimes have to go to their support systems, So they go to aunts and uncles or neighbor's house or grandma, grandpa, or wherever in the meantime. And sometimes siblings can grow to uh, resent their brother or sister mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, here we go again. Mom's there. Dad's there. I'm not going to see him again. This is what it is. Some kids absolutely are resilient and adapt and do well and understand Mm -hmm. what's going on and how they can help and what they do. Overall, I think all kids generally become better individuals with a deeper sense of gratitude and resilience for having a sibling with special needs Mm -hmm. i'm amazed at all the brothers and sisters i've met of the kids i work with who are just fantastic kids Mm. and people on their own right so how do you cope with that i say you have to keep the lines of communication open and it's hard just like as per that last question, uh-huh. sometimes as you make choices to limit medical interventions, it's hard. There's grief associated with any choice you make. Mm. There's grief associated with these kids. And it's just a matter of, I saw a thing recently that said, choose your hard, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Like being fat is hard. Uh, being skinny is hard, Like right? Like you, yeah. the sacrifices you have to make either way or the things you do, it's hard.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's the same thing with some of these choices, and how do I support my kids? It's hard. And sometimes you don't always make the best choices, and sometimes you just survive and you do what you got to do to just make it to that yeah. next moment. And it's okay. Kids are so resilient. But my number one answer to that would be communication. You have mm-hmm. to learn to be able to talk to them, to get them to talk to you, uh, make the people in their life aware, if that's teachers. Uh at school to say it's got a brother or sister with special needs they're in the hospital right just so you may Mm -hmm. see some behavioral things that come up but it's about that communication and keeping an open door for those kids to be able to talk to vent to speak to their their pain too yeah and how do you recognize that And what do you do with that and then there's lots of different coping ideas and things too yeah anger Anger is an emotion that scares the crap out of everybody, man. And mm. uh, kids, when they're angry, there's this attempt to right to mollify and soothe and it's okay you it'll be OK. But if you can find a way to allow a child to effectively be angry. Oh, so good and so powerful. Mm. I love Smash Rooms. I don't know if you've ever seen <laughs> Smash Rooms. But... No, but I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, they set up. All kinds of stuff, and you just destroy it. Wow! And you don't have to clean it up. You don't have to do anything. And people do versions of that, right? Like if you don't uh-huh. have the money for that, people do versions of it. Like they go to the di and buy twenty-five cent ceramic plates hmm. and huck them at a brick wall where nobody's around, right? Just different sounds things. Sounds awesome. To be... Yeah, yeah. And then there's some catharsis in cleaning that up too, right? Of sweeping hmm. it clean, putting it away. Of like, okay, we got it out and now we, we, and we keep going forward. We move on. We clean that up and we yeah. go. When I did therapy at uh four street clinic, that's the homeless healthcare clinic I started at. Mm-hmm. I used to tell the guys I worked with, you can kick anything in the office that isn't me. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's like awesome. just, just don't hurt me. <laughs> but if you want to kick my desk or whatever, go for like, it. Have and at it. With kids. Yeah. <laughs> like if you can provide some of those outlets, I think people would be amazed, but anger is one of those things that, people try to push down or push away Mm -hmm. or hide or because it's so frightening, right? Joy and love are what we want to see and be around and happy. But if you can find a way to effectively deal with anger, oh, so good. It will go so far in helping the other siblings.
0: Mm -hmm. So would like talking it out also help with that, like venting, like allowing them to feel angry and tell you about their anger? Would, do you think that would be effective too?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And uh, I remember there was a mom at the hospital, very, mm-hmm. a very proper, faithful woman. And when she did very well to try to keep her anger contained and I mm-hmm. remember she said, let's take a walk. And so we walked outside and we went out to the parking garage. And she would scream out at the city and she would cuss and swear <laughs> and yell and scream. And I just remember, like, I had this picture of just this proper lady. And then we go out there and she was just, she would just let it go. But she felt yeah. better. Yeah. And she was like, okay, okay, let's go back. I can go back now. That's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, let's go back yeah Um, and so that absolutely uh talking about it and telling kids you're mad it's okay to yell and scream
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. sometimes
1: it's grab your pillow and scream as loud as you can into your pillow you can absolutely do that anytime yeah Um, and helping them put words to that anger Uh, that's where art therapy stuff comes in music Mm -hmm. therapy stuff comes in there's so many different tools you can use to help kids cope with what's going on, and yourself too, mm-hmm. because that's going to be a big piece of it too. Is yeah, as parents, you try to keep everything together. How do you tend to yourself? How do you tend to your own anger? Yeah, at this stuff too.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so valid. What would you love to leave parents with? What is your your pep talk for for us parents who are going through so much?
1: It's not going to be a very popular opinion but i think you need to lean into that that hard place
2: Mm.
1: and that's an art and it's a balance but you need to be able to tap into that darker side of yourself Mm. that place to where uh you know we typically call it your mama bear in people, but um, in order to advocate for you and your child and your family, sometimes you got to stand your ground firmly. And it's scary and it's hard, but I I tell families, you go to bed with you, you wake up with you. These doctors, these nurses, they're gonna do the best they can for you, and then they go home to their family. They go home to their lives. They right their journey mm-hmm. takes them on their path. Your journey is yours. And so I think you need to think about the decisions that you make not in terms of whatever the doctors think would be best, but it's about you and your family and your child and and your your heart because mm-hmm. it's all difficult, but which of the difficult choices are more tolerable for you? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: That feels pretty, I don't know, that feels, but I'm just like, you got to lean into that yeah. That hard place sometimes to say, like, I remember a mom, we were talking in a room in the ICU once and the nurse said something and she stopped and said, we're not here to be friends you're here to take care of my child. Please help me take care of my child. Mm. And the nurse was a little taken aback and was like, "Ah, I mean, all right. And she (laughs) finished up and left. And the mom was like, I know how that sounded, but damn it, I'm tired. And I said, (laughs) yeah, that's okay. Because I don't know that you'll see her again. Maybe, maybe not. But you're going to see your child every damn day of your life. Yeah. And so- Absolutely. Sometimes if you gotta be a little short, if you gotta be a little rough, be a little rough. Hell, we tell parents and rainbow kids like if we come in and you're like, Not today, man. Not today. <laughs> Great. Yeah. No problem.
0: I think I've done that before. Like, yeah. Yep, I'm good. Okay. Bye. <laughs>
1: yep. Bye. I ain't got it today. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And so having that ability because um the hardest work I think you'll ever do in this life is on you. Mm-hmm. And so this experience of having a child, this experience of having a child with medical needs and complexity is forging you, who you are as a person, and you'll get close to breaking. You'll feel like you've broken. You'll feel stronger than ever. You'll experience highs and lows and joys and sadness that a lot of people will never get to. Yeah. And if you can learn to kind of shift with some of those sands and look at yourself and honor where you're at, you'll be okay. I think people mm. get into trouble when they try to suppress all that stuff. Yeah. When you try not to cry, when you try to hold your anger in, when you try to just say, I need to be strong, quote unquote, that's what gets you into trouble. Mm. The the resilient, healthy people find ways to lean into that and to, let it out like a a pot that's boiling right like you mm-hmm. you've got to let the steam out a little bit you got to just take the lid off sometimes and
0: yeah and but that's
1: an art to how you do that
0: yeah it's so painful to do but then you do feel so much better afterwards it does not feel good to hold it in all the time and it's kind of impossible <laughs> it can't it, stay in
1: <laughs> yeah it finds its way out one way yeah. or another you'll get stomach aches headaches uh, all kinds of aches and pains, and just be like, "What's going on?" <laughs> yep, insomnia, racing thoughts, because you're just like that mm-hmm. fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. The things that your body is doing to you, yeah, you just you live at an intensity and at a level that that can all be worked on. If you talk about your goals of care, what you're okay with, mm-hmm. what you're not okay with, where you want to be, and so and I think leaning into some of those hard places and learning to hold your own boundary too. Cause you yeah. can still be firm and polite.
0: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it feels good to say no to people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Trust me. It feels good to say, no, no, I'm not doing that. No, yeah. no, we're not going to do that. It gives you more control. Yeah. I think to say no to things.
0: Yeah. And a lot of parents that I've interviewed on here, I usually ask them, how have you changed or in what ways have you evolved? And a lot of times they say, I used to not be able to speak my mind, but now I've been able to do that. And now I feel like I can defend and advocate like I never have been before because you have to, or you'll just be mowed over.
1: That system, the healthcare system is huge. It is huge. And as you know, how many times a day if you're in the hospital, you've got to repeat the same piece of information to 20 different people. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, do any of you pay attention to yeah. what I say to you? Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous. And so that's where you have to come in, right? I've had parents be like, we've tried this medication. Here's the date we tried it. Didn't work. Get out of my room. I want to talk to somebody else. Like, that's not a thing. We've been there. We've done that. Yeah. And then the doctors leave and then I'm there sitting with them and they're like, I'm, I was mean. I'm, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, you did great. Yeah. You have to speak your mind. And sometimes somebody's feelings might get hurt, but that's the burden of professionalism. That's the burden healthcare workers have to bear to be like, people are mad and upset and it's usually not at us.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: The thing you're mad about is usually not the thing you're mad about. And mad is easier than sad.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's so So, true.
1: Yeah. But if you can learn to lean into that and integrate that into your life a little bits at a time, and you won't do it great. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, I went way over on that one. (laughs) Or sometimes (laughs) you'll think back and go, I could have been more assertive there, but I didn't.
0: Mm yeah Yeah. well thank you so much orly i feel like we have some real gems in here for all of us parents trying to navigate this this huge heavy big thing of having medically complex children and and their diagnoses and just all of it Uh, i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom with us
1: thanks for having me it's great yeah Um, like i said we could do hours and hours on all the different things so Good luck, yeah. Thank you.
0: If after listening to this episode, you feel like you need help working through the huge emotions associated with parenting children with medical needs, I encourage you to check out our sponsor, BetterHelp, an online service providing licensed counseling remotely. Link in the show notes. Please share this episode and this podcast with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from it. Reviews on iTunes are also very helpful in helping others discover it. Join me next time for season two's finale episode as we celebrate another amazing season. See you then. You can catch another rebroadcasted episode next week.